This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. that we must answer. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Thank you so much. Genesis chapter 16 will provide the foundation for our thoughts today. I found that hidden in the shadows of fairly well-known stories in the Bible are some powerful yet many times unnoticed secondary truths. Um, And it's probably my very strange and eccentric personality, and this is not the right time to say amen, Dick Humphrey. Uh, 
but, but I love trying to dig past the obvious and uncover truths that are sometimes nestled in the hidden crevices of well-known Scripture. Now, to find that little hidden gem, we're going to have to read an entire chapter from the Old Testament. But before you groan, you'll be thankful it's not Psalm 119 (laughs) with 176 verses. Rather, it's Genesis chapter 16 that only has 16 verses. And I, I know that Sometimes it's still tough staying dialed in while reading the Old Testament. But I think this chapter, with its elements of high drama, that this chapter has love and sex and a wife lashing out at her husband. That's always fun. And what's really fun, it has two women involved in a bitter squabble. So these elements should keep our attention as we read this entire chapter Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. But Sarai, and she, of course, would eventually become Sarah. Abram's, and Abram would eventually become Abraham. Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children. And then here's kind of a strange request from a wife to her husband. Sarai said to Abram, go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now, let me just stop a minute. I realize Scripture gives us everything we need to know. But it doesn't always give us everything we want to know. And I've been curious, you know, when when Abram's wife said, honey, go sleep with my servant. Did did Abram think this through? (laughs) Uh, did it ever occur to him, you know, this is probably not a very good idea. Even though my wife is asking me to do this, this will probably come back to haunt me. But nevertheless, Scripture says, Abram agreed. Verse 3, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram first arrived on the land of Canaan. So Abram slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. When Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. And and this kind of cracks me up. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, it's all your fault. (laughs) Sarah, you're not really serious, are you? And and of course, this doesn't excuse Abram's actions. He should have been smarter than that. But, But for her to say, it's all your fault, just cracks me up. Now, this servant of mine is pregnant. She despises me, though I myself gave her the, listen to this, the privilege of sleeping with you. The Lord will make you pay for doing this to me. And, and guys, listen to me. Sometimes it's best not to defend yourself to your wife, okay? Even if you could. And Abram was smart enough to realize this was one of those moments. And so, verse 6, Abram replied, since she is your servant, you may deal with her as you see fit. In other words, honey, do what you want. Do what you want. Um, So Sarai treated her harshly, and Hagar ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a desert spring along the road to Shur. The angel uh, said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm... uh, 
I'm running away from my mistress, she replied. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress, submit to her authority. The angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard about your misery. This son of yours will be a wild one. And listen to the description, free and untamed as a wild donkey. And knowing that Ishmael you know, would become the father of the Arab nations, nations. This next verse helps us understand the bitter relationship that the sons of Ishmael now have with their half-brothers, the Jewish people. It says, he will be against everyone. Everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live at all odds with the rest of his brothers. Isn't that true? Verse 13, therefore, Hagar referred to the Lord who had spoken to her as the God who sees me. For she said, I've seen the one who sees me. Later that well was named Berlaharoi. Uh, Let me say it again. Berlaharoi. I'm glad we live in Eldorado Springs. <laughs> and it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was, listen to this, 86 years old at that time. Now, without insulting your intelligence, let me quickly recap this scripture in my own words. Abram's wife, Sarah, desperately wanted kids. But after years of trying, their home remained childless. So Sarah came up with what she thought was a bright idea. It appears that the reason they couldn't have children was rested upon her. And so she decided to promote a one-night rendezvous between her husband and her trusty maid or servant named Hagar. Now, this isn't the focus of of our lesson today, but but, but if you've been in church, you've probably heard multiple messages on this. But let me say in passing, giving your servant to your husband for a one-night stand, even if it's to get a baby in the house is never God's plan. It happened in those days, and on occasion you hear of it happening today, but don't for one moment think that God ever sanctions things like this. And, and there's a lot more we could say here, but that's not our focus today. So, Sarah came up with this crazy idea. Both parties agreed, and not surprisingly, Hagar ended up pregnant. Now, initially, I'm sure that all of them were excited. Abraham was probably excited because he was going to be a daddy, and And at 86 years of age, he had to be feeling pretty good about his manhood. (laughs) Hagar also had to be excited because she was going to be a mommy. And and not to mention that the father of the child, Abraham, was someone very influential and rich. And and so as a mere servant, she had to be feeling pretty good about her status as well. What about Sarah or Sarai? Well, of course she was excited. She'd concocted this whole plan. And in her mind, she imagined that Hagar, her Her friend and faithful servant would carry the baby until it was born and then with great excitement hand the baby over to her boss, Sarah, to raise as her own. And and she thought that Hagar would just smile and watch Sarah's joy and just cheer her on. But as you can imagine, not everyone lived happily ever after. And really, ladies, can, can can you imagine carrying a baby to full term and giving birth to that baby, then handing the baby over to your boss? who happened to live in the same house as you lived in, and every day right in front of you, you would see your baby and hear your baby call your boss, Mama. Well, that bright idea didn't turn out to be so bright. 
And the good relationship between Sarah and Hagar didn't even last until the baby was born. While Hagar was still carrying the baby, she began to sort of enjoy the fact that she was carrying Abraham's baby and she began to flaunt it over Sarah. And and that led to marriage problems between Abraham and Sarah. And and we read this, but it it led to Sarah confronting Abraham and and saying, Abraham, this is all your fault. And and Sarah began to lash out at Hagar and become downright mean. Well, one day Hagar, after constant berating and humiliation, came to the point to where she felt she couldn't take it anymore. And she made the decision to run away. And her sandal feet began moving swiftly, swiftly over the rough and rocky terrain that led to an endless desert away from Sarah. Now, while she was running away, I, I imagine she felt so many different emotions. And one of those emotions had to be fear. Fear over what was going to happen to her. How, how would she as a single mom be able to support her son? And then where would her son grow up? I, Who would his family really be? How would he answer the question, son? Who's your daddy? Another emotion that Hagar had to experience was anger. Anger at Sarah. I mean, this whole situation came about because Hagar was just trying to do what Sarah asked her to do. And and then Sarah had turned on her. And even though Hagar didn't say this out loud, yet I think Hagar rehearsed in her mind what she wished she could say to Sarah. You ever do that rehearse in your mind? I mean, Sarah, just who do you think you are? Your your name, Sarah, might mean princess, but you're nothing but a bitter, barren old woman. And as for sleeping with your husband, do you think that's what I really wanted to do? Just for your information, I do have some morals about me, which is more than you can say. And when I slept with Abraham, I was just trying to please you, and now I'm carrying his child, which, by the way, is more than you could ever do. And Sarah, you'd better... Remember, she's probably rehearsing this in her mind. You'd better not follow me or I'll run and run and keep on running until I'm so far away. You will never find me. And and the old man that you call your husband, and, and by the way, he is an old man. Even if he's the father of my baby, if you keep harassing me, he will never, ever get to see his baby. And you will never, ever get to hold this child. You know, I don't know if you've ever had imaginary conversations I don't know if you've ever had similar conversations, but unfortunately I do. I, I sometimes rehearse conversations that I think I would like to have with my wounders. I sharpen my words like knives on flint, and as my words get sharper and sharper, I, I feel myself angrier and more justified in self-pity. And even though most of the time I never speak the words out loud, yet they shred my inner peace because they keep my focus on those who hurt me. But can I just jolt us and say that those imaginary conversations are really a waste of our time and energy? And what would be more helpful than having those dress rehearsals and conversations in our mind would be to instead have conversations with God in prayer. That's what David did. Do you realize that many of David's prayers in the Psalms were in response to being hurt by others? For example, listen to Psalm 5. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Sign, listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray in the morning, O Lord. You hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. It goes on and says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. 
Make straight your way before me. Not, not a word from their mouth can be trusted. You ever meet anybody like that? David's prayers so many times began with complaining and expressing anger towards his enemies. But, but what you need to notice is that David's prayers then many times have a drastic switch. And, and, and you can almost pinpoint the transition where his focus changes from his enemies to his God. And this psalm, in this psalm, he wraps up his prayer by expressing his praise to God. And he says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. Those that, who love you. May your name, your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O oh Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. That's Psalm 5. And so David, even though he starts out by saying, God, man, I'm hurt. Somebody crushed me. I've got enemies. They said hurtful things to me. But you see, after he kind of complains to God, he begins to take his focus off of those things. And he begins to focus on God. And he begins to just pour his heart out to God. Which leads me to say this, it's okay to do some complaining to God. God doesn't get upset about that. But at some point, our eyes need to get off of our wounders and off of ourselves and onto God. As long as your eyes, your focus is on your enemies, your wounders, those that have hurt you, those that have mistreated you, as long as your eyes are on you and how you suffered, you're going to get deeper and deeper into a state of depression. There comes a time when we need to look up, look to God. And at that point, our perspective will begin to change. There's one more thing I want to say before we move on. Maybe, maybe our conversations are not imaginary conversations with our wounders, but maybe our conversations are real conversations with others that we drag into the situation. Perhaps we have a tendency, is this you? To gravitate towards complainers? What's that saying? Birds of a feather flock together. How is it that complainers find each other? Maybe we have that tendency and we repeatedly open our wounds to sympathetic ears. And, you know, it reminds me of the old saying, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person gets sick. And so, may I just ask you, who have you invited to drink poison with you? How long is the guest list for your pity party? Are you gathering an audience to listen to your complaints? If you are, remember that pity parties never bring healing. They just deepen the wound by repeatedly exposing it. And these kinds of discussions keep us focused on our hurts instead of our healer. And with Hagar, her focus was definitely not on her healer. She was running. And, and, and in the Bible we read, it says she was running on the road to shore. And, and, and what was the significance about the road to shore? Well, that was the road back to Egypt. That was the road back home for her. She was probably running back to her mama, running back to her family, running back to the familiar pagan and false gods of Egypt. 
She kind of reminds me of the Apostle Peter in, in John 21, 3, after his deny, uh, dismal failure as a disciple, and he denied the Lord. What did he do? He went back to his prior life of fishing. And it wasn't just that he was going fishing to try to clear his mind, but, but Jesus had called him. And he was leaving the call of God that had been placed on him. He was going back to his former way of life. You know, I've read, and as a pastor, this, this kind of really speaks to me. I've read that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month due to failure, burnout, conflict. Just opening my heart, I've, I've been there. I can't say that I've done that, but I've been to the point of thinking, I just can't do this anymore. You've been there as well in your own situation. You know, when we fail at trying to do the right thing or we fail at trying to live the right life or we fail at trying to be the right person, the natural tendency, here's the natural tendency that you have and that I have, it's to say, I can't do this. And we give up. Many times we go back to our former way of life, and many times we go back to our former addictions to help drown out the pain. Well, it was during this miserable moment on the road to sure that God showed up to Hagar and taught her a profound life lesson, and here it is. Even if you can outrun your wounders, you can't outrun God. And as Hagar ran deeper and deeper into the desert, I can picture her heart just about to jump out of her chest, and, and she's gasping for breath. And, but then something happens that, that probably just about pushed that emotionally and physically exhausted woman over the edge. And out of the clear blue, there in the desert, an angel appeared to her. Verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Hagar might have been able to get away from Sarah, but she couldn't get away from God. Now, I don't remember ever personally seeing an angel, except for maybe my wife. Um, she's not here today, but she's probably watching me on live stream, so I have to really be careful what I say, even if she's not here. But, but I can't put on my resume that I've ever physically seen an angel. And so I, I don't know how I would react to seeing the sudden appearance of an angel. You know, a while back, and I was talking with this person, but I, I was minding my own business there at Walmart, and all of a sudden I saw a streak out of the corner of my eye flying towards me at warp speed, and, and this being grabbed me in a massive bear hug and, and uh, I think broke a couple of my ribs and lifted me off the ground, came in from my blind side, and I don't startle easily, but my heart rate did spike for a moment, and now, I quickly recognize this person uh, that, that attends this church, and I probably wouldn't classify him as an angel, uh, maybe on the other side of the spectrum. But, 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 but there's Hagar. She's been running in the desert. She stumbles across a stream in the desert, maybe grabbing a quick drink of water before trying to get more distance between her and Sarah. 
But there at the spring, all of a sudden, an angel shows up. By the way, isn't that so godlike? God shows up suddenly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere. And there are several other places in the Old Testament where God shows up as an angel of the Lord. Just a little bit of theology here that that I brought up at different times. Scholars agree that the angel of the Lord is what they call a theophany. You don't need to remember that word, but that just means the appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God. In other words, this angel of the Lord Scholars believe it's Jesus before Bethlehem. It's Jesus before taking on human flesh. It's Jesus before the cross. And what makes this even more amazing is that this very first time that we encounter the visible Son of God is at the spring. He, he's revealing Himself, listen, to a woman, not a man. To a servant, not a warrior. To an Egyptian, not a descendant of Abraham, to a sinner, not a saint, to a slave, not a king, to an outsider, not an insider. The, the compassionate, the, the compassionate Savior shows up for the very first time in Scripture to a, listen, single, unwed, pregnant wounded woman. And God intentionally seeks and finds her while she's running away. You know, I don't know what that does for you, but that pretty much shames me for my attitude. God sought after someone that we would have pretty much said good riddance. I mean, she's a sinner. She's no good. She's immoral. She's trash. But God lovingly chased her and found her out in the wilderness. Now the question is, why? (laughs) Why? Why? Why did God go after Hagar? Why didn't God just let her run away and die in the desert? Maybe cause her to have a miscarriage. Or just let her return to Egypt where she would never ever be heard from again. I mean, having Hagar out of the picture would have solved a lot of problems, at least from my perspective. I mean, it would have solved the problems in Abraham's household. It would have probably solved that age-old battle between the Arabs and the Jews. So, so why didn't God simply just dismiss Hagar as Abraham did? Well, the incredibly crazy answer is because God loved Hagar. And and here's the little hidden nugget that I've taken 30 minutes to get to. (laughs) I took the scenic route. And it's a truth that we can't afford to miss. God loved Hagar and cared so much about the suffering of this unwed, pregnant Egyptian servant that he left his throne in heaven and ran after her, pursuing her right into the desert. Even though... She had helped bring this situation up on herself. Well, what does the angel say to Hagar? Well, God gives Hagar a message that she didn't want to hear. Has ever, God ever given you a message you didn't want to hear? But 
she needed to hear it. God said, go back to Abraham and Sarah. Let, let's reread this verse tonight. Then the angel of the Lord said, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. In other words, Hagar, go back to your old job. Go back to your boss. Submit to her. What does this say to us? Well, it tells us we must not run away from our problems and our conflicts. For example, some of you need to hear this. Don't run away from your conflicts at church, which is what most of us do. You know, we have a conflict with someone at the church and you know, a board member, a friend, and I can't imagine this, but maybe even the pastor. And, and so what do we do? We begin avoiding them and many times even leave the church. You know, this, this also means don't run away from your conflicts at work. And, you know, how many times have we had a conflict and we just say, you know, take this job and not love it. <laughs> But then I think the biggest takeaway from this truth is don't run away from your conflicts at home. And again, that's what we want to do. You know, things don't go well at home and we begin looking for a way out of the marriage. But but God says, Hagar, go back home. Go back to Sarah. In verse 10 again, the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. What? You know, though this child was conceived in an immoral way, God said, I will use this child as the means to raise up more descendants than you can count. And again, this child named Ishmael would become the father of the Arab people. And even though God would eventually give a son to Sarah and would choose him as the people through whom he would send his son, Jesus Christ, yet don't forget this powerful truth. God loved Hagar as much as he loved Sarah and said, I will raise up a great people through Hagar's son. Can I just kind of open my heart to you? This is a truth that sometimes I I struggle wrapping my mind around. And And I think you do too, especially in a world that sometimes thinks God cares more about Jews than he does Arabs. Or in a world where we think that God loves Christians more than he does Muslims. Or in a world where some think that he cares more about whites than he does blacks. Or in a world where we think that he loves those that go to church more than he loves those who never go to church. Or in a world where some people think that he loves men more than women. Or that he caters more to rich people over poor people. Or that he loves God-fearing people more than atheists. And, or that he loves straight people more than gay people. Or that he loves non-addicts more than addicts. Or that he cares more about us than he does them. The truth is that God loves Everyone. Everyone with the same unconditional love that caused him to send his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What crazy love. What incomprehensible love. What undeserved love. 
Let me quickly reinforce this concept from a great story in the New Testament. I won't read it to save time. In Mark chapter 5, there was a little girl who was dying. You know, we've read this many times, and so sometimes it's in the Bible. We forget the emotion, but don't forget that there was a lot of emotion right here. A little girl was dying. And while that was happening, Jesus happened to be speaking to a large crowd. A leader from the local synagogue came to Jesus, begged him to go help this dying daughter. And, and, and I love this. Jesus, instead of saying, well, can't you see I'm in the middle of a sermon? You know, I'm, I'm speaking to thousands of people here. You know, take a number and I'll get back with you. Jesus left the crowd so he could go be with this dying girl. Which gives us a glimpse of the love that Jesus had for this little girl with a terminal illness. On the way to this girl's house, you know, she ended up dying. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 35, someone says, it's too late, you know, she's dead. And, and then, he, here's a statement that says, why bother Jesus any longer? She's dead, why bother? Why bother? Have you ever thought about that? Why bother? You know, my marriage is so far from, so far gone. Why bother trying again? Or I'm so far in debt, why bother putting a budget in place now? Or I've been in this addiction for so long, why bother trying to break free? Or so-and-so and I have been at odds for so many years, why bother trying to reconcile? Why bother? Well, Jesus kept on walking and said, just have faith. And Jesus walked right into the bedroom of that little girl who was dead and you know what happened? He raised her from the dead. And, and, and right there gives the answer to why bother? Because Jesus is all-powerful. He's all-loving. He can do exceeding abundantly more than we can ask or think. That's why we need to tap him on the shoulder and ask for help. Why bother? Because Jesus can do all things. Amen. Did you know that the uh, word faith is used as a noun 243 times in the New Testament. But did you also know that the word faith is used as a verb 243 times in the New Testament? What does that tell us? It tells us that, that faith, the matter of faith, is equally about what we believe and what we do with what we believe. One more thing about this story that I, I want to mention, and this is, this is really the point I want to draw out of this story. And this is one of those secondary truths that really connects this lesson to the story of Hagar. On the way to raise this 12-year-old girl from the dead, Jesus came across a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. So her bleeding problem began about the same time that this little girl was born. But notice a couple of contrasts here. The, the young girl, girl, her blood stopped flowing as she died, but this other woman's blood wouldn't stop flowing. Also, the young girl came from a family that was well-to-do. The other lady with a bleeding problem was very poor. 
Mark helps us to see that Jesus doesn't discriminate. Educated or uneducated, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, godly or sinner, church or unchurched. And some of you will really struggle with this, but Republican or Democrat. I said that earlier and someone said, you're going too far, Pastor. (laughs) Alcoholic or dry, gay or straight, good, bad, or ugly, Jesus loves us all. And that doesn't mean that Jesus condones all of those lifestyles. He doesn't. Not at all. Sin will be judged. I'm not condoning sin. Jesus doesn't condone sin. There will be consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. But don't ever forget that he loves every human being with the crazy love that won't quit regardless of our goodness or badness. So let's finish up by going back one last time to Hagar's story. Wherever you are, Whoever you are, regardless of what you might have done or not done, the God of Hagar is right there for you. And if you will just quit running, and if you can still the racing beat of your heart, and if you can silence those imaginary conversations, if you can listen carefully with the ears of your spirit, I think you will be like Hagar And you will hear the voice of Jesus calling your name. And he will calm your fears. He'll bring you hope. And listen, he'll lead you back home. So what is he saying to you today? Is he saying go back to your conflict and make something right? You've been at odds for years, decades. Is he saying, go back? Is he saying, give your marriage another chance? Is he saying, I know you're you're stuck in this addiction? Is he saying, let me help you break free? This morning, could we let the God of Hagar speak to us? And and could we just let him love us with a crazy love, undeserved love, incomprehensible love? Let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask this morning that you would help us to understand the depth of your love. Help us to understand how deep your love goes and that, God, so much so that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. That's a crazy love. Lord, I pray that for those that maybe feel that they're in a hopeless situation, whether it's a home situation, a work situation, an addiction situation, just a depression situation, a chronic illness situation. Father, I pray that, Lord, that we would allow Jesus to come to us and calm our fears and speak words of peace. Give us hope. 
Lord, for those that are just stuck in an addiction that they've tried and they've tried and they've tried, give them hope and give them freedom that they would break away this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.